Hi everyone, this is Thomas. This is the third episode of Signals. Welcome. A couple of podcast notes at the top. One is, I believe I've sorted out the crackling on the microphone. So thank you for bearing with me through the first couple of episodes. You should not hear crackling in this episode, which I'm excited to report. Secondly, I read a statistic or heard a statistic on a podcast about the fact that the vast majority of podcasts terminate before the 20th episode. So most podcasts don't make it to episode 20. Therefore, one of my early targets and goals for Signals will be to survive through the 20th episode. Okay, so this week I wanna touch upon a few things. Firstly, data transformation, which is a terrible combination of words to describe, I think far too broad a suite of projects in financial technology. Nevertheless, we have used that combination of words, data transformation, to refer to our effort to modernize and re-architect our minimally viable product that was released early in 2021 to our first users and transform it into a mature, modernly architected, scalable enterprise product. So a few things related to this project I think are worth calling out. Firstly, Reid Hoffman said, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your application, then you are too late. I think there is real wisdom in that approach and we have certainly found that the sooner we get content and product and features and visualizations in front of users and get feedback from users, the more productive we can be from a development standpoint, the more efficient we are from a go-to-market standpoint. And shortening that feedback loop to the smallest possible time frame is really valuable. And trying to figure out when or how much to deliver in the form of an MVP versus how long to wait before you Rearchitect, and as the title of this episode implies, nail it before you scale it, right? But you don't want to nail it before you have a customer, and we didn't do that. But I think it's real art trying to figure out what is that fine line between delivering a product that can support an institutional customer in this space versus delivering a product that is too mature such that you've not really captured feedback or validation or discovered anything to do with product market fit before you've tried to scale your application. And here again, I think it becomes more tricky in our space because we're talking not about consumer individual users, we're talking about the most demanding users, I I would say possibly on the planet, which are portfolio managers, traders, and, and research analysts who may be a little less, not less demanding, but maybe slightly more friendly than traders in this space. And I, I say that with love for traders, having been one. So the data transformation project, which is really us converting that MVP into a mature product for it to go to market at scale with more content is incredibly important. We've spent a lot of time and resources this year focused on re-architecting everything across the entire process of data ingestion, transformation, and ultimately delivery, right? Through the product into views, into, into customers. And I think what's exciting for us, we're more than halfway through this project today, and what's exciting for us is not only will our existing content be processed with more 
performance, more responsiveness with better anomaly detection and data validation. There's so many benefits to doing things in the, you know, fit for, per we're using technology that is fit for purpose for all of the data pipeline functions. So not only do we benefit across our existing content, but now the product, our product, the strategic vision is to go from three alternative niche data sets to 10 or 12. And when we do that, the value proposition of our content goes up significantly, of our offering, if you will, goes up significantly. And so upon completing data transformation, we have prioritized the next content set, which will be ESG data in the product. We're incredibly excited to bring in more content and not only to do that, but to do it with a, what I think will be a future partner that is incredibly aligned with our vision and have real, real synergy between their value proposition and our value proposition. I'm excited to share that story in much more detail in the near future, but for now I'll just say ESG content is in demand. There's a real challenge in the marketplace today, I think, because there are so many vendors working with so many different methodologies and therefore creating many different types of scores that are very difficult to not only standardize or, or normalize across vendors, but to interpret and incorporate into an investment workflow process. The firm with whom we are beginning to engage now and preparing to work with their content as our next release of, of data upon completion of data transformation. This firm has a really rich and unique data set in the ESG space. I think they've done something that solves a lot of the pain points that I just called out across the existing ESG landscape. But not only does that adds, adds more value to the process because the approach and the method they've used not only does it solve those problems, but it, it almost reverses the way that ESG is analyzed in the investment world. Whereas rather than looking at how does the environment impact your holdings, you also need to look at how do your holdings impact the environment. And when you work in that direction, you end up with a higher quality score, a higher quality understanding of ESG impact which is really what investors are demanding in this space. So really excited about that. But again, it's predicated on finishing the rearchitecture project. I'm gonna maybe stop calling it data transformation. It's really a rearchitecture project, but it is data pipelines end to end. Okay, the other couple of points I wanted to make this week, one has to do with the sales process. I'll try to be concise in what I say, which is if you don't understand who you're selling to within an organization and how their procurement process works and who has the authority to make budgetary decisions within the firm, then it's gonna be really a frustrating process. It's hard enough to sell enterprise SaaS software to institutions, period. But if you try to do that without a really clear understanding of who the decision makers are within the firm, then you're creating, you're making it even more challenging for yourself, which you shouldn't do. So spending the time up front in the sales process to understand how are decisions made, who makes those decisions, and then critically, who influences those decision makers, all three of those pieces need to be understood. All three of those pieces. So what is the procurement process? who has authority to make decisions and who influences 
the decision makers. And it's often those influencers that you want to spend a lot of time with. But if you don't understand the other two components of the sales process, you really, you know, it's, it's just really painful. Okay, so we have, you know, we're learning this as we go. Of course, it sounds very obvious when you say it out loud, I think. But when you are in the throes of a pitch and a demo and you're engaging with the buy side or the sell side, it's easy to lose track of this premise that you really need all three of these, this understanding across procurement. Okay, lastly for this week, I wanna just touch on this Signals pod is meant to be or is a companion to the longer form written content that will become Focus Signal, the broader piece of this Substack. And I just wanna share with you that I'm working on the next piece for Focus Signal, the written content, which will be a overview of our Estimize content. And it's going to really, I'm trying to tell the story of how did we identify and select Estimize as a partner and as a data source in the product? Why did we select them? And then how did we engage with them? How did we partner with them? How did we capture all their content, start to analyze it and make sense of it ourselves and then create both descriptive analytics and then later forward-looking prescriptive analytics and then how did we think about okay what else can we do with this content to productize it internally now we are creating almost a quantitative model as a service offering where we're running a post-drift earnings quantitative model on the content that can communicate systematic signals through our application to users i think it's a great story and kind of epitomizes our approach to what is the, you know, how do we become a valuable service provider by aggregating high quality, difficult to access content sets in one place, but then overlay analytics that are additive in nature such that we're adding IP to that process that then delivers signals, information, and content to end users. So that is, I think I'll have that out over the next week or two, which I'm excited about and look forward to sharing it. So that's it for this week. This is episode three, so 17 more to go before we get to 20, but I'm excited and appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you, cheers.